0: All right, ooh. <laughs> I have a little big mouth, so you wanna put that on the lowest possible. Uh, and so, uh, again, um, Lisa and Matthew are incredible leaders and friends, which I'm sure you already know, and it's just an honor to be here. Um, Justin's a longtime friend, there he is and back. And uh, so I, I'm honored to be here, honored to be a part of um, just seeing an elder installed in a incredible multicultural setting is just a, a blessing that we don't see very much. And um, I honor you uh, for, uh, for the work uh, that it takes to make that happen. Uh, and, uh, and to see you, 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 you supporting ministries uh, around the world is incredible. So i um, happy to be here and be a part of that. Um, I, uh, I, I'm from Philadelphia originally and uh, was raised in Mount Zion Baptist Church. And uh, uh, so I, I am, I'm, I'm kind of like just a stereotypical black preacher at some points. <laughs> and so what that means is like like we got to talk to each other um, because I, I, you know, I just need a little amen here and there right? There we go. That's a little. I need, I need a little more. Um, and, and here's the rule. If you don't say amen, I don't think you're getting this thing, so I just got to keep going until, until we get some agreement. So this, it's up to you whether we get out of here at 12 o'clock or at 3 o'clock. So. so let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, who you are, your incredible mercies anew upon us again today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the gifts that are present in this space that have led us into worship. Uh, We thank you for the organizations that were able to be supported, and we pray, God, that their work continues to grow and deepen in this world and your kingdom be established more fully uh, we thank you for uh, new eldership and leadership and fresh vision and faith, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you are with this board of elders as they, as they seek uh, to represent the kingdom here in this space. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to read a, a scripture here from Exodus 1, uh, starting at the 8th verse. Uh, And I'll read it through, and then we'll uh, look into the scripture a little bit. Uh, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar uh, and with all kinds of work in the field. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name was Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on, on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives, asked them, why have you done this? So uh, about a year ago, um, this is actually anniversary week of a year ago, uh, I stood on the steps of the Supreme Court, and apparently you can't stand on there with a banner uh, saying you're against the death penalty or you might get arrested, just so you know. Some people get arrested for that, uh, and I was one of them. And uh, so uh, that's how my year started last year. I was here uh, exactly a year ago in D.C., but I was uh, underneath D.C., under the streets in the jail. Uh, And over the last year uh, have been involved in a number of protest activities, one of which led us to do some things uh, to boycott the NFL this year. One of the reasons I love Matt uh, is because he's also a Cowboys fan. We have that in in common. All right, cool, good. Uh, But this year I've boycotted the NFL uh, because of some of the things that are happening around Colin Kaepernick and uh, all that's happening. So in the midst of that, I made this little video um, with a, a filmmaker of ours, and it's about a five minute video. I'm a football fan. I wanted to do something to say I'm against this. I did a five minute video, put it online, and uh, by the end of the day, hundred thousand people had watched it. By the end of the next day, a half million people had watched it. By the day three, a million people had watched it. In a week's time, it was went viral about 3 million people. Uh, my Facebook feed uh, had twenty-five thousand comments, and my email started to go nuts. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was in the midst of something that I was just a football fan trying to trying to say my piece. Uh, and but what I discovered is there was uh, there was there were people who wanted uh, to say something in the midst of what was happening. And so, um, but the residual out of that was all kinds of people of faith writing me and calling me and texting me saying, why are you doing this? This is like, this is, you're, you're a pastor. You need to stay on course, right? You need to, you need to be, stay a part of the kingdom. This is, this, is, this is political. You're getting too political. And so that forced me back into the scriptures to say, is this really political? And what I've come to after a year, is that there's actually a spirituality of protest. And today I want to talk from that idea, the spirituality of protest. So we have have this pharaoh um, who didn't know Joseph. And what began happening is he began to see uh, the Israelites grow in number. And as they grew in number, this pharaoh, this king, began to get worried that it was too many of them. Right. And so uh, his answer, uh, uh, he started questioning, well, what what will happen if they joined? We went in a war and they joined our enemies and they joined our enemies and then our enemies defeated us and they left. Right. I found that odd that the end of him being afraid that they were growing wasn't that they would take over, wasn't that they would kill him, but they would leave. Don't you find that odd that that was his fear? What that began to push me to look at was, well, who were the Israelites? Who were they and what were they doing? Well, apparently they were the working class, Right. They were the folks that Pharaoh counted on to feed his children and take care of his children and build the city and work in the city. Pharaoh was afraid that these folks were growing in number and that if they were able to get out of here, we'd lose our working class. That the working class people would leave. Not that the working class people would kill us, but nobody would be able to feed my kids. I'd have to take care of myself. And it says that Pharaoh then um, doubles down and they begin to enslave the Israelites. They begin to imp- oppress them and move them out of working class, deeper in and in to a slavery situation. And they become the slaves of Egypt. They were growing in number. Uh, uh, They they were becoming a threat to leave, according to this pharaoh. Uh, uh, And uh, he begins to push them into slavery. And when pharaoh pushes them into slavery, the Bible says what? They grew even more. Right? Right? that this idea that comes out of this is that, that even in hardship, right? Even at hard times, in hard places, God can still move and multiply, right? No matter what the circumstance is, right? God's still faithful. If God is with you, no matter what your circumstance, he can do something out of that. Can bring up that image of that rose? That that uh uh to me I liken it to this idea of like a rose out of concrete. Like, how h- how does that happen? Does that intrigue you? Like, like nobody stepped on that, right? <laughs> right? Nobody pulled it up, right? Like, how did that rose get to bloom in that place? And and like I want to know the story of that rose. Go to the next slide. I I went to this theologian guy here, um, (laughs) Tupac Secure, and and he says, "You you, uh, you see, you wouldn't ask why the rose that grew out of the concrete had damaged petals. On the contrary, we would all celebrate its tenacity. We would all love its will to reach the sun. Well, we are the roses. This is the concrete. And these are my damaged petals. So, 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 so Israel, right, they grow under slavery. And our question should be, what, like, how did that happen? Who are they? What were they committed to, right? Like, we want to know the story of how you grow under oppression. That is the story of the day, and that's what I want to examine here. How in the world did this happen? These, these, uh, these, the, the, this slavery is happening, um, and we see uh, growth. Right? Uh, and it causes us to question, right? Here are some of the questions that perhaps we should be. How are families, how do families flourish with nothing? Right? Think about our own roses and around us, folks who are flourishing in hard spaces and conditions with nothing and terrible schools and low pay. The question shouldn't be pity for these folks. The question should be what? What are their stories? Who are they? How do your families flourish with nothing? I, I, I work with some students in Portland, I live in Portland now, and we have a cohort of leaders of color, most of who are, who, who are from Mexico and are immigrants and DACA students, and they are sitting in college classrooms with other students. But you ask them their stories and they'll start to say, well, my dad walked here from Mexico twice. My my, my my uncle found a way here, got here, worked, and then found a way for the rest of our family to get here. And you're sitting in a college classroom with someone whose parents is pay, they're paying their tuition. I want to know who. I want to know your dad. Right? Like, who is your dad? Bring him here. Let him preach next week. Because that's the story. That's the teacher in our midst. It says, instead of that, instead of that happening, what began to happen is the, the Egyptians, Pharaoh beat, and those folks begin to dread the Israelites. Instead of honoring, instead of trying to figure out a story, they begin to dread the Israelites. And dread has this, this idea, these couple ideas with it. One is this idea of fear, right, and apprehension, right? I'm scared of these folks because they keep growing, and we, we keep oppressing them, and they're still growing. I'm scared of that. Right, and I'm apprehensive because I don't know them. So, I, I, th- do they want to harm me? Right, that's half of the story of uh, uh, of dread. The other part of dread is awe and reverence. So there's this thing going on in the Egyptians where they're fearful and apprehensive, but they're also They're also curious, they're also in awe, right? And wonder about who these folks are. Uh, But but how dread works out is they begin to deal ruthlessly with with the Israelites. And we see that. We see that played out like ruthlessness is a lack of pity. Right. A lack of of, of compassion that plays out there. And we can see that same fear and apprehension playing out in today's society society. Right. Lack of pity or, or compassion that that plays itself sometimes in a police killing. Right. That that shows itself when two police play, show up and a 12 year old boy is dead in 12 seconds right that's ruthless deporting parents away from their children separating a family not caring how they're gonna get along that's ruthless putting putting native people taking children away from their parents and putting them in boarding schools and beating them because they speak their language that's ruthless See, we can see ruthless things playing out, taking taking farms from ta- Japanese farmers in California, stripping them of their of their homes and their occupations and their life, and then selling those things to white farmers. That's ruthlessness. We see this playing out in our society. That it says Pharaoh, this ruthlessness begins to make life bitter for the Israelites, and this bitterness, right, is this idea like it just becomes fully un- it's unpleasant. People living on edge right? Um, survival mechanism becomes dominant, right? When, 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 you're try, when, when, when life is bitter towards you, like you just try to survive. When you have to work hard and you get low pay and there's terrible work conditions, that leads to decisions being made to survive. And our response sometimes to that is to judge those folks who get that. Like, couldn't you make a better decision? Couldn't you? Why aren't your children going to college at the same rate? Right? We we that we see this playing out in our society. So, what did these folks do? Well, Pharaoh uh, 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 went and he saw this this continued multiplication. So he goes to these Hebrew midwives, right? Uh, that probably worked for him, right? And uh remember now, this is this is not our time. This was these midwives were called before Pharaoh, right? Which could be seen as an honor, right? Oh, Pharaoh wants to talk to y'all? Oh I mean, they probably got the back, you know, hooked it up, right? Not like I'm looking. They probably put a tie on and, and tuck the shirt in and, you know, put their shoes on instead of their converses, you know, like and Pharaoh says to them, hey, um, here's what I want y'all to do. If there's a boy born when, you're, uh, get, when the Israelite women are, are giving birth, then I want you to kill the boys. Right? And these midwives, right, are standing before Pharaoh, and he just said to them, hey, I want you to sell out the people. Right? You're comfortable. You're in my palace. You're my like you work for me. I just summoned you. I just gave you some cred all over the place. Now, here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to kill those boys that are born. Y'all know any folks of color that sell out? Because you get comfortable, because you get a house because you get a good job, because people listen to you, then you can sell out other folks. see this was the problem this is so as we kind of went through this year um, and started to dive into what was going on with the NFL and Kaepernick, we like this is what we discovered right that that the problem with Kaepernick uh, uh, was that he wasn't grateful right now let let me me do this quickly so so Kaepernick right was adopted by a white family he should be grateful right he got another chance as an adopted kid of color then then Kaepernick was an athlete right and athletes in our society they get passes on all kinds of things right if you're a good athlete that's just kind of who we are in America now, not only was he an athlete, right, like, so uh, uh, he was tall, right, and, and athlete, he played football. Now, if you can believe, like, like, football is our gladiator sport in America. It's number one, right? It's, it's the deal. From, from, from Pee Wee League uh, uh, to pros, right, it's the number one sport. We eat it up and consume it like crazy. So not only that, like, was he adopted, he's an athlete, he plays football, he plays our gladiator sport, he's a quarterback. Quarterback is the position on football field, right? You are the man if you're a quarterback, right? You get all the glory when they win, even if you are Peyton Manning, did nothing to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that just slips out of me, God. When you are a quarterback, you are, that's the position in the gladiator sport that we consume as Americans. Then he gets drafted out of college, right? Now he's one of the top players. Now now he's one of the top, like, 100 football players, like, in the the country because he gets drafted. And then he gets drafted by the 49ers, which is a storied franchise within football world. This is the franchise with multiple titles, Joe Montana and Steve Young and all of these stories, right? This is a storied franchise even within the 32 teams within the NFL. There's a handful that that have that title. This was one of them. He is now the quarterback of the 49ers. Now, not only that, then he goes and plays in a Super Bowl and almost wins the thing. Colin Kaepernick should be grateful for his life, for what those adopted parents brought him into, for what football in America has given him. And at the moment where he is, he, he, he is on top of it, he decides, I'm not gonna kill our babies. He decides the amount of protest in the tradition of the Hebrew midwives. Because what the Hebrew midwives come back uh, out of their protests, the scripture says, however, they feared God more than they did Pharaoh. Yeah, Pharaoh, mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, we're, we got that. <laughs> Pharaoh calls them back in. Hey, why do I still see all these? Why is it still going like this? And they're like, well, see what ha- happened was, Pharaoh. It's like the Hebrew, like, like the Hebrew, t- you know, those women, they're stronger. And before we get there, they have the babies like, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> they mount a protest because they refuse to go along with Pharaoh in all of his power. And again, this is, this is not a democracy. This is a Pharaoh who had, could call for their heads at any moment. And they mount this protest because they fear God more than they do Pharaoh. And they go back to Pharaoh and they give him this line. Now, no matter what you think about that line, about what it was, whether it was true, was it embellished? I don't know, but they gave that thing. And the scripture says, and then God blessed them even more. This was a spiritual movement. This wasn't about the politics of the time This wasn't about Romans 13, whether we should obey the laws of of man and God. This was I'm with God. And I told a little story. I don't know. It's partly. But but God, if this is the deal, I'd rather I'd rather be in trouble with you for lying than in trouble with you for allowing people to get killed. And apparently it is right with God because it says he then blesses them with their own families. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. One of these protesters as she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, stood at a distance Uh, she then placed the child in it and put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the The faith we stand on gets to us directly from the protests of these Hebrew women. We see Moses later standing before another Pharaoh saying, What? Let my people go. This mom after after keeping boys alive keeps her own son alive sends him down the river gets her daughter to watch him her daughter uh is around when pharaoh's daughter now look we ain't there's no man tall in this in this deal that's a whole nother sermon like what in the world How did this thing become man-dominated? Because the women are the ones who led the protest and got this faith to us. We have turned the story upside down. These women mount a protest. Then a the woman mounts a protest for her own child, sends her daughter. Now let's not discount Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter noticed this is a Hebrew kid. And her dad had already said any kid born decree over all the country that is Hebrew boy throw him in the Nile. She didn't throw him in the Nile. I think Pharaoh's daughter, like uh, somehow Hebrews had become humanized to her. And I think it was because Pharaoh didn't raise his daughter, some Hebrew woman probably raised his daughter. <laughs> And so when she looked at a Hebrew, maybe she thought about the person who actually spent time with her and taught her and nurtured her and fed her and said, this is a Hebrew kid. Go get somebody to take care of it. I don't care what my dad say. I'm not throwing this kid in the Nile. This little girl goes and gets her mom. Hey, mom, guess what? <laughs> You can go take care, take care of our brother. And she goes to take care of her brother and gets paid. <laughs> She's a slave. She's getting paid for taking care of her own son. And if this mom was anything like my mom, right, and some of yours in here, my mom, when she became a Christian, I, uh, through osmosis, became a Christian. Like, I had to make that decision on my own one day, but it was inevitable. <laughs> Son, Jesus going to take care of you, right? We're going to Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to Sunday morning service. you going to Sunday school. Uh, like, I'm tired of this Jesus stuff by the time I'm 10. <laughs> don't you think this Hebrew mom told this baby young man who he was? son you are Hebrew. You were born in the tradition of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I, she's praying over her own child. Remember, this isn't no scared woman. There's a woman that just led two protests against Pharaoh. She telling her boy what he needs to hear. See, when Moses stands before the burning bush, like that wasn't an accident, That wasn't a happenstance? That was out of this protest. Right. Moses, like he he, he sees one of his brothers getting getting uh, beat and he goes and he kills the man. Now, that, that's like like that's another sermon, like the difference, <laughs> the difference between right violent protest and nonviolent. Right. Moses become violent. He he, he kills someone. He's banished, right? He's out. He's walking along. He again sees some women being mistreated by these shepherds. He steps in again, right? He couldn't help it. That's how he was raised. That's what he knew. That's what his mom put in him. Every time he saw injustice, he stepped in. Sometimes he messed up. Sometimes it went well, but he stepped in. So the burning bush wasn't an accident. It was a fulfillment of all that had happened before him. Brothers and sisters, us sitting here in the tradition of a faith that comes through us by protest, we are not here by accident. We have been engrafted in by the work of Jesus into this village, this family, this community, this movement called a church. And it is our duty to protest what is wrong in the world. No matter who the Pharaoh is, no matter who the king is, we fear God more than we fear the king. Out of this tradition. I I think my time might be up. (sighs) Out of this tradition, man, we 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 I we we see all kinds of illustrations for it. And I'd like to leave this one with you. This out of this Exodus tradition, this tradition of protest, I think the black church was born. And there are some markers of the black church that I want to leave with you that you could could think over and talk over as a community. Because it, it was Richard Allen in 1791 when Methodists wouldn't let black people sit in the church with them who walked out of that church and started the AME movement that black church, uh, and I get this from a friend of mine, Ephraim Smith, I'm, I'm, uh, this is the last time he's gonna get credit for it. But uh, 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 this, this, these markers of the black church uh, began as a liberation movement for free slaves, right? To, like that the belief that you uh, can come from nothing and be set free, right? quote unquote nothing, right? That, that a church born out of the liberation movement is a, different, is a different idea of what church is about. And it is my conviction that liberation movement has been systematically removed from our theology. And I use the word systematic on purpose. That the black church has a belief, right, in the empowerment of the unqualified. Right. That that God gave personhood and mission and purpose to everyone, no matter what qualifications say and mean. We get that backwards. We think seminary degree, doctorate, learned that that is the qualification for the church. That is not the tradition we sit in. It is not. Uh, That's another sermon. Uh, You taking notes? You taking notes, Pastor Matt? (laughs) The Black Church has been born out of this idea of speaking truth to power, right? Just to exist, and has done that directly and indirectly. Right. Uh, And 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 this born out of uh, like we know as, uh, you know, from the civil rights movement, even seeing churches bombed. Right. And speaking truth to that power. The other thing is that I think is relevant today. The black church understands and knows how to mobilize in the wilderness, after slavery and before the promised land, they were stuck in the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that they had to mobilize. This is the tradition in which we sit. Right, We are right now in this space of wilderness within our world where justice for all is, doesn't necessarily mean that. And what does that mean for us now? It means mobilization time, y'all. And we mobilize in this space. I learned this profoundly in Ferguson. As I, I somehow God had me down there the week of that that happened. And I, I, I profoundly came to know Jesus again. And there was this idea that in this wilderness space that God sits. Like like all of the scriptures are pointing to a God who goes to the place where he shouldn't be, where she shouldn't be. And he meets there and he raises leaders out of that space. And I was born again, again. Out of this wilderness experience, you and I have this opportunity now. Today, that as, as the church moves into a deeper wilderness experience, where we're able to kind of, where, 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 where persecutions are happening, right? As we see those who we thought were leading us are no, not really leading us. And we've got to look to leadership because, like, the leadership wasn't born in that seminary we thought it was born in. That leadership is born in in housing projects and in prison cells, right, Uh, uh, in, 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 in shelters. That's where we go look for the leadership now. Because the leadership out of learned seminaries and all of these places has been examined and found wanting in our society. It's not what we thought it would be. And now in the tradition of the Hebrew midwives, we must mount a protest. And it is a spiritual action and movement. May God bless you. Let us pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the history and the faith tradition that came directly through these women of faith. And we pray that you bring that spirit, the spirit of the Hebrew midwives. May it rest on us. May in this moment, We understand and know and see you clearly and from a different space if we need. We thank you and we love you. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.